Thank you so much for leading us in worship, Colin. Uh, good evening to everybody. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians. We will pick up where we left off last week as we began a new Sunday evening sermon series, walking through this book, this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And, and sort of as an introduction last week, we, we did say this is a letter that was written by Paul, and it was written to this group of Christians who were living in this town, this city called Colossae. And if you remember, one of the interesting things about this particular letter is that it was maybe the only letter that Paul was writing to a group of people that he didn't actually know and that he had actually never met. See, he did not plant this church. It was probably planted by a guy named Epaphras that was mentioned in the text last week. And so we, we, we did do a little bit of like introduction stuff to the letter as far as those kinds of things go. But uh, one of the things that I did not mention last week is actually the purpose for Paul writing this letter. Like, what was he trying to accomplish by writing this letter? What was it that provoked him to actually sit down and, and write this out and make sure that it got to these people? And the answer is that uh, and this is the case with several letters in the New Testament, Paul had heard that there was false teaching in the church. Uh, there was maybe somewhere in the community surrounding the church, people were saying incorrect things about Jesus, maybe in the church itself, false teachers had come in and be, had, had infiltrated the church and begun teaching things about Jesus that didn't line up with what they actually saw in his life and the things that they actually heard him say. And so, because of this false teaching, Paul knows, he's, he knows that he has to address this. He has to like, step into action and, and correct the areas where they've gone wrong. Now, we don't actually know what those false teachers were saying. We don't, we don't know what kind of lies about Jesus they were spreading. We don't have any indication or any kind of written record that's made it to us today that tell us that those people in Colossae, those, those false teachers there, they were saying this and this and this. But what we can figure out based on Paul's response that we read in the text is that they had a, what we would call a deficient view of the person and work of Christ Jesus. See. They were, we don't exactly know what they were saying, but whatever they were saying about Jesus brought him down. It was because if we look at what we're gonna read tonight, we're gonna read verses 15 through 23, very, still at the very beginning of his letter, Paul is having to respond to that false teaching by doing everything that he can to lift Jesus up. And so what we're going to read tonight, verses 15 through 23, is... It contains what is perhaps the most beautiful, most profound description of the person of Christ Jesus, arguably in the entire Bible. And so, as Paul is combating this false teaching about Jesus, trying to bring Jesus down a notch, uh, and which, by the way, before we actually read the scripture, say one more thing, um, this shouldn't surprise us, right? I mean... It should not be a surprise to us that there were people back then trying to, uh, to, to bring down the name and the worth and the value and the, try to take away from the glory of Christ Jesus because the kind of thing's still going on today, right? I even, as I was preparing for this, I even uh, 
started working on sort of a list of like different world religions or different viewpoints and, and then asking the question, what do they believe about Jesus? And I was gonna just say, hey, well, this religion says he's this and this one says he's this and on and on and on. But then I realized as I was kind of putting that list together, there was this recurring theme and there were several of them, almost all of them, that essentially said the same thing. Yeah, Jesus, he was great. He was a prophet. He was a good teacher. He was a wise man. But none of those other religions, or even, even like people who are not religious, like atheists or agnostics who, who believe in Jesus, recognize him, they would say, yeah, he was a good teacher. He had a lot of wise sayings. But all those people would reject the idea that Jesus is God. And so, with that in mind, let's turn to the scripture. Let's see what the Apostle Paul had to say in response to this. Colossians 1, starting with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the church, head of the body of the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." So the, I guess, sort of like the outline, I'm just going to explain to you how we're going to do this tonight. I've got uh, three truths that I want to uh, share with you tonight. And then following each one of those, there's going to be a personal application that kind of goes along with that. So, so we'll go, like, I'll give you the first truth, first application, next truth, next application, third truth, third application, right? And so that's where we're going to go. And the first truth, the first thing that I want to share with you tonight, the first truth about Jesus is Christ reigns supreme over creation. Christ reigns supreme over all creation. You see, in verse 15, as he's writing this passage of the letter, the very first thing Paul does is he takes that idea of Jesus just being a good teacher, just being a wise man with some wise sayings, and he blows it completely out of the water. He takes that idea that, you know, oh, yeah, Jesus is, he's got, he said some really neat things, and, and yeah, it's, um, he was a great teacher. It was like really good to be able to sit and listen to him. We enjoyed that. He was a good communicator, but that's all he is. He just takes that and he just destroys that with, with this first statement that we read in verse 15. He says, Jesus is not just a good teacher, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
You see, we, we know the people who believe in God, we know that there's a God up above and we can't see God, but we can see Jesus. And everything that we would say about God is going to be true of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God and he is the firstborn of all creation. So these are two phrases that he uses kind of back to back in this verse, verse 15. And, and both of them are an explanation of who Christ truly is. But here's the thing. When you've got people out in the world or even false teachers who have come into the church, what they do, the best way to deceive people is not just to say something outlandish, right? You're not gonna believe that. What you wanna do is you want to take the truth or a piece of the truth and twist it to say something different. And so there are people, maybe even people in, in Paul's day, but there are definitely people now who take these two phrases, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and the next one that says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, and they want to twist that to make people think that it believes something different than it actually does. And in both of these situations, remember Paul is doing everything he can to lift up the greatness and glory of Jesus, but there are other people out there today who want to take this and make it mean something else to bring Jesus down to our level. So real quick, I wanna take both these phrases, image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, and I wanna show you how people try to make this mean something differently than it actually does, but I also wanna make sure we know the real meaning. So first, image of the invisible God. So what people will try to do is they'll take that phrase, he is the image of the invisible God, and they'll say something like, oh yeah, I rem like if you think back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter one, it says, we are made in the image of God. And so, yeah, we're made in the image of God and Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So that means Jesus is just like us. I mean, it's that, they use that same language, right? And so they take that and they make it seem as if Jesus is down here on our level. Or maybe they're trying to raise themselves up to his level, but either way, they're wrong. And so we've gotta be real careful about how we, we look at this because there's a slight difference in the phrase that's being used and it makes all the difference in the world. It says that, Genesis says that we are made in the image of God. It says, Jesus is the image of God. Okay, so, so real quick, we are a created being. There was a time when mankind did not exist and God brought mankind into existence and he made, made man in his own image. Made in his image, but Jesus is his image. So um, just to, to try to explain what we were referring to here. So, so I'm, I'm a human, I'm made in the image of God, but so I'm speaking right now, but if there, we were to somehow bring up a mirror on stage, like a full-size mirror, and sit it right next to me, and we could set it up in such a way that you guys could see my reflection in the mirror, and so it might look to you as if there are two identical Matthews on the stage. Well, there's still only one Matthew, the other one is just a reflection. And in a similar way, this is not exact, but in a similar way, mankind, humans, because we're made in the image of God, are meant to reflect the image of God out onto creation, similar to how a mirror reflects our images. That's why, by the way, 
That's why God commands Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, because he wants them to go out and make more image bearers so that more of the image of God could spread out over the face of the entire world. But if we're looking at a reflection, we know that that reflection of me isn't actually another me. There are lots of things that you would say about me that would not be true of just my reflection. Like that mirror doesn't have a heartbeat, doesn't have like thoughts or emotions or any of those things, but, but I do. And so in the same way, we as humans, we're made in the image of God. We're meant to be a reflection of God and his nature to the rest of the world, but we are not God. There, is a, there are a lot of things that we would say are true about God that are very much not true of us. But the things that we would say, maybe there's some, like if somebody wanted to get like a theologian in here and so maybe some technicalities, maybe there are some things that you would say about God the Father that aren't quite true about God the Son, but there are some really big things that are true. Like, is God the Father all-knowing? Yes, and so is Jesus. Is God the Father all-powerful? Yes, and so is Christ the Son. Is God the Father eternal? Yes, so is Christ. And so those things are true about God and they are also true about the Son. And so we gotta be very clear and very careful about how we use this language. We're made in the image of God, but he is the image of the invisible God. The second phrase, firstborn of all creation. They do something similar. And they'll say, okay, he's firstborn of all creation, but that sounds as if that means he's a part of creation. It makes it seem as if he's, down here in creation, like us, that he was also a created being, like we are created beings. And there's actually, um, so, and they'll even, you know, say, oh yeah, he's the firstborn. Well, if we actually look at chronology here, like the the sequence of events and what we see in scripture, um, so when we're talking about the first man, Jesus was, Jesus of Nazareth, who was, born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago was, was obviously not the first man who was on the earth. That, that first human man was a guy named Adam, and it was actually Adam in Genesis chapter three that messed everything up that required Jesus to come to earth. But God the Son was actually a lot, was around way earlier than 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem. See, if we look to John chapter one, it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then it, it uses actually some of the very similar language to what Paul uses here, talking about how in the act of creation, everything that is made is being made through him. So Paul is going to say, as he continues on, for by him, all things were created. So if Jesus didn't show up until 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, then how in the world were things being created through him? In the beginning, Genesis chapter one, all things are being made through him. Well, God the Son is not a part of creation. He is eternal in the same way that God the Father is. So I know that's complicated, I know that's difficult, what we need to know is that the things that are true of God the Father are going to be true of God the Son. All things were created 
in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible. And by the way, so that actually we should, that should resonate with us. So visible and invisible, obviously, things that we can see right here in the physical world created by God, created uh, and made through Jesus, made for Jesus, but even the invisible. It's like spiritual powers, like angelic beings or demonic forces, all those things are also going to sit under the sovereignty of Christ, Christ Jesus. And then I love what happens next. He just goes through uh, these, this list of like uh, different types of powerful people. So if we like, you think about like kings or presidents or different politicians or a dictator, like he says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all those people who have such great power fall into this category. All things were created through him and for him. No matter how much power we might have on earth, it pales in comparison to the power and the authority and the majesty of Christ Jesus. He is before all things. And then I just love this next phrase, in him all things hold together. It should be a great encouragement to us, especially those of, I don't know if you guys are like me, but there have been times in my life where it felt like all the things were falling apart. Ooh, me rest in him, we place our faith in him and we trust in him, the one who is over and above all things, reigning and ruling over all creation, reigning supreme over creation. He's the one who holds all things together. He is sustaining creation. He is actively involved in his creation. So what does that mean for us? What is the application that we need to, to take here? What do we need to put into action? Well, he must be the focus of our worship. Earlier when, when Colin was up here on stage, like we finished one of those songs and everybody kind of started clapping and he's, he was just kind of encouraging us and he says, yes, let's praise him for, for who he is and all that he's done. And that is absolutely true. We need to praise Christ the Lord for all the things he has done for us and for who he is. But let's make this clear. Jesus is sustaining all things. He is holding all things together. He has done a lot of amazing things for us. But even if he didn't, he would still be worthy of our worship. Just because of who he is, just because this is true of him, he is worthy of our praise. So he has to be the object of our worship. We, we tend to worship lots of things. We chase after lots of things, lots of different things of the world distract us from what really matters most. We've got to put all of our attention, all of our focus on him. He must be the focus of our worship. And that's going to not just be when we, when we sing songs, we wanna sing those to him or the, uh, just other things that we might do when we think about worship notes. Actually goes a lot deeper than that. It's like our everyday life. Everything that we do in life needs to be dedicated to him. And that means we've gotta be obedient to him. But go back to uh, those people who want to keep Jesus in this little category of just a good teacher. Well, I think I've got a reason why they wanna do that. I think it's because if we can just keep Jesus locked away in this little category of just a good teacher, then that means we can choose for ourselves whether or not we wanna to listen to what he had to say. Because there are lots of good teachers present in the world today. There's been lots of great teachers throughout all of history. And you know, some, yeah, they had some good things to say. I believe this part, I'm not so sure about that part. 
And so if Jesus is just a good teacher, we can put him in that category. And if we don't like what he had to say, then we don't have to listen to it. But if Jesus is way more than that, if he is God, if he really is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, if he really is Lord, then we don't get a choice in the matter. We gotta do what he said. The second truth that I wanna share with you today is that Christ reigns supreme over the church. He reigns supreme over creation, and he also reigns supreme over the church. So he actually kind of shifts gears a little bit, and so he's talking about all the physical creation, all the world, everything that's in the universe, but then he moves to a spiritual creation, which is the church. He says in uh, verse 18, he says, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So, so that, that word, the head, that means that he is the, the leader of the church. That means he has not just authority over the world, but he also has the special authority over this, uh, this body called the church. And let's be real clear about what we mean when we say the church. We're not talking about a building. We're not talking about this, an organization, right? No, we're talking about people. There was one time I was actually kind of preaching about the church, and it was, I was at a, at a different church preaching about what it means to be the church, and I said that phrase, like, the church is not a building, the church is people. And I remember there was a little girl in the congregation who got really upset about that, right? Because I was saying, hey, this is not the church, but, and there's like, she was like talking to her dad, like, it is the church, this is the church, what, like, you gotta go tell him he's got this wrong, like, this is the church, but, and as much as I understand what that little girl was trying to convey, this building is not the church. When, when we have a church, when we, we are sent out from here, we're gonna go meet in, in a daycare, it's like multi-purpose building. But when we meet, that building is not a church. The church is going to meet in that building. These people in Colossae, they were probably meeting together in somebody's house. Their house was not the church. The church was meeting in that house because the church are the people. It's, it's me and you. It's the gathered body of believers coming together for this act of worship. And so that means when we say that he is the head of the body, the church, that means he is our Lord. That means he's the one who is in charge of us. and just furthers that idea that we gotta do whatever he tells us to do. We've gotta be obedient to him. And, and that leads us into the, the application for this, is that if he reigns supreme over the church, then he must be the focus of our work. That means everything that we do as a church had better be centered around Christ Jesus. We gather together in this room. The adults, sometimes we go upstairs and we have our life groups Younger kids, teenagers, we all, sometimes you go into that other building behind here and you gather together into your groups or you, you have your different worship service or different things that are happening. Uh, sometimes we, we go out, we leave this campus and we go out and we, we love our community or we go on mission trips, we do different things so that we can reach our world. Those are all lots of different activities, ministry, that's work that we do, but it better be centered on Jesus. I was sitting in a, back when I was in college, 
I was in a philosophy class, and the professor asked us a question. He was trying to get us to like reflect and like, I guess like go through the process of philosophy or whatever that is. And so um, he asked this question, meant for us to just kind of reflect and try to figure this out. And so the question was, what part of you makes you, you? So what is, the, what is it about you? What part of you, piece of you, is the quintessential part that makes you who you are? Okay? And so, and he actually used several little analogies, and I'll share some of those with you now. I won't use all the ones that he did, but he said, like, let's say, imagine somebody has this really bad accident, and they have to get their leg amputated. Well, even though they're missing a leg, are they still the same person? Have they lost their identity? No, they're still the same person. They've gone through this tragic accident, and they've had to, like, lose part of their body, but they still are the same person. So, what, okay, so what that means is, the leg is not the part of him that makes him who he is, right? And he says, all right, well, what about a heart transplant? Take your heart out and you put somebody else's heart in and you have a successful surgery. At the, after the surgery is over and you recover, are you a different person now? No, you're still the same person. You've got a different heart, but you're still you. You're still the same person that you were before the surgery. All right, so that means that the heart is not the part of the body that makes you you. Well, what is it? Well, he went on and on, and, like, and so he had his ideas. Well, if you're, if you're a philosopher or even if you're a theologian, you might have different answers, but if you're a scientist, if you're looking at this from a physical per perspective, the answer's real easy. It's gonna be your brain. Because if, if something happens to your brain, if there's something that can, like some kind of severe head injury or, or different diseases that, uh, that affect your mental capability, that's when you start to notice differences, right? That's when people's personalities start to drastically change. That's when uh, they, they lose the ability to do the different things that they used to be able to do mentally, right? And you might even say that that's, that doesn't even seem like they're the same person anymore. And the brain is obviously located in your head. And so what that means for us, the spiritual application we could take from this is that Jesus is the part of the church that makes us a church. If anything that we do is not completely centered, focused on Christ Jesus, then we're not a church anymore. There are lots of organizations out there, groups, maybe social clubs, and, and they might call themselves a church but it doesn't matter what they've got on their sign outside or what they say about themselves on the website. Lots of those organizations or groups, they're not really, they might mention Jesus, but they are not centered completely around the work, the gospel of Christ Jesus. And if that's the case, they're not a church. We gotta be careful that that, is, that can never truly be said about us as we gather together, as we go out and as we do our work that we're called to do, that everything about us is centered on Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church, and our work must be completely focused on him. And then the last truth, Christ reigns supreme over creation, Christ reigns supreme over the church, and Christ reigns supreme on the cross. Verse 19, 
It says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Then into verse 20 says, and then through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we talked about praising God for who he is and for what he's done. Well, this is when Paul shifts. He's been talking about who he is. Now he's gonna tell us about what he's done. And what he did was Christ gave his life for us. I talked about that, that mirror that was kind of reflecting an image earlier, and so we can be mirrors reflecting the image of God. Well, going back to Genesis, Genesis chapter three, we mentioned Adam earlier. Well, he and Eve rebelled against God. And when they did, there were consequences for all the rest of mankind throughout history up till today with all of us. And that means that we are born with a sinful nature. That means that we are born separated from God. And apart from Christ's saving work, we will spend eternity separated from God. See that, that mirror image that was meant to reflect God it still reflects God. The image of God still exists within us, but that mirror has been broken. And when you look at a mirror, shattered mirror, you can still see a reflection in it, but the image has been shattered. And so the image of God in us is fractured by our sin. But Christ Jesus came so that it could be restored. And, and because of our rebellion, because of our sinfulness against God and our disobedience towards him, that actually makes us enemies of God. But it says in verse 20 that he came to make peace between us and God, and he accomplished that peace through the blood that he shed on the cross for us. If we keep reading, verse 21, like, so he's been talking a whole lot about Jesus. He's been sharing a whole lot about the greatness and the glory of Christ. But in verse 21, he starts talking about us. And he says, and you, you were once alienated. You were once separated from God, like we just said, and you were hostile in mind. That means all your thoughts, the thoughts that you had about God were actually thoughts against God, about how you didn't want God to be your Lord, how you didn't want Christ to be Lord, because you probably, we all want to be Lord of our own lives. We want to be the ones that are in control. That means we gotta take control away from him. And so we were hostile in mind. And it, and it means that we means that we are distant from the Lord. It means that we have been separated from the Lord. And we are desperately in need of someone to come along and do a saving work for us. We need that image to be restored. It means that we need someone to intervene for us. And so scripture tells us that we were once alienated, we were hostile in mind, we were doing evil deeds, but Jesus reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He came and he died the death that we deserved. He gave his perfect life for us. And in doing so, did an amazing work for us because now we can be presented before God as, as we keep reading, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, last week, 
we said that salvation was largely primarily a work of God. It's God who does the work. It's Christ who does the work. And, and he's the one who, who had to intervene for us on our behalf in order for us to be saved. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we deserved to die. So he intervenes. He accepts God's wrath that was meant for us on himself. He bore it at the cross. But we said this last week as well, there is still a human element, right? There is still a responsibility that's on us. There's something that we have to do in response to this. And he explains this again. He says, you can be presented before God as holy, blameless, above reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith. So what's our requirement? Faith. We place our belief, our trust in Jesus for salvation and we confess him as our savior and Lord. So this faith, it says, should be stable, steadfast. We don't wanna shift from to and fro, no, we or remain secure in the hope of the gospel that we've heard. So we rest in the gospel. We have hope in the gospel. We place our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if we believe that Christ reigns supreme on the cross, what's the application for us tonight for that? It means that, he must be the focus of our witness. It means that if Christ has done this amazing saving work in us, has accomplished so much in us, then that should excite us. It should fill us with joy, as Colin was sharing earlier, we were singing that last song, because we should be ready to shout hallelujah, we have been made free, we've been rescued from the sinfulness. We have been rescued from the chains, the bondage of sin in our lives. Christ Jesus has saved us. So we should be willing to tell other people about that. That's what it says that kind of towards the end, it says that this gospel that we heard is being proclaimed in all creation. Well, it's our job to take this gospel and proclaim it to all creation. Some of you know that before I came here to Colonial Heights, I was a, a student pastor at a different church. And so I was working with teenagers. And um, I, I have told Ford many times, like I think he's a much better student pastor than I ever was. Um, because like, see, like he's going to, to all the different games and all the different performances and things like that. He's getting into the lives of the teenagers. I think he does a phenomenal job of that. And so I just, I didn't do that all the time. I didn't do that as much as I probably should have. And there's another thing that I didn't do a great job of. People would tell me sometimes that as a student minister, I needed to like try to get into teenage culture and understand what, what they're in, involved in, the things that they like to do. So like maybe watch some of their movies, listen to some of their music. And I was like, I don't wanna do that. Their music's terrible. <laughs> and so I didn't do a great job at that. But, but there was sometimes I just couldn't, I couldn't stop from finding out about things because I would walk into church into the student area on a Sunday morning and, and maybe, maybe like that last Friday night, previous Friday night, maybe a new movie came out and it was all they were talking about was this new movie, about how great it was. And then you got the people who were like, all right, don't, don't say anything. I don't want to hear any spoilers, right? No, don't say anything. But you had people like all they wanted to do, the people who had seen that movie, all they wanted to do 
Let's talk about how awesome the movie was. Or sometimes it would be like a new game or a new app on their phone, and they're all huddled around, different, everybody's huddled together on their phones, talking about how awesome this is. And so what they would do is I would start talking to them about the, the movie or the app or whatever it is. Like, all right, well, tell me what's so great about it. And they would try to explain it to me, but it would be real obvious, like I'm an old man and don't, not really connecting with some of the, the things that they're interested in. And so eventually somebody would say, if it's a movie, they would say, you just need to go see it. Just go watch it. Just, they wanted me to experience it for myself. Or, hey, just, just download it and just play this game with us and you'll understand. You gotta experience it for yourself. You know, adults do this too all the time. Like you go to a new restaurant and it's just amazing food. And you wanna just, you go tell somebody, it's like, hey, this, is, this new restaurant just opened up. It's, it's awesome, we gotta go. Like, and so, so next week, what are we gonna do? We're gonna get everybody together. You wanna take them with you. you it's not enough to just tell them how good it is. You want them to go, you want them to experience it with you for themselves. Shouldn't we be at least that passionate about the gospel? Shouldn't we be at least that excited about what Christ has done in our lives to the point where we've gotta go out and we've gotta tell as many people as possible about this saving work Christ has brought about in our lives? And, and say, it's not enough just for me to tell you about it. It's not, just, it's not enough for you to just listen to me ramble on and on about the greatness of Jesus. No, I want you to experience him for yourself. It's gotta be what we do. This, he has got to be the absolute focus of our witness that we have to go out and we have to proclaim his name to as many people as we possibly can. So as we shift into our time of response, the most important thing that someone might do tonight is decide for your, decide tonight as, as maybe the, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart that maybe, maybe you've heard me talk a lot about Jesus tonight. You've read where Paul was writing about Jesus a lot, but maybe you're at a point where you wanna see for yourself. Maybe you need to respond to the gospel tonight. I wanna invite you, uh, in, in a little while, the band is gonna come back out here and they're gonna sing a song and you're gonna have an opportunity to come over here to this door. It's over here to the right of the stage. You can talk to someone and have a conversation with them and they would love to have the opportunity to tell you about Jesus. There's also an, another way that we can respond tonight. And it's gonna do, we're gonna do the same thing that we did last week. We're gonna respond in two ways, in prayer and praise. Like I said, in a little while, the band's gonna come out, gonna lead us in a song of praise. But before we get there, I would love for us, as the church, to humble ourselves before the Lord and go to him in prayer in response to what he has said to us tonight. So like we did last week, there are gonna be some, some prayer points that are up on the screen. I wanna invite you, maybe you wanna gather together with some people and pray together in a group. Maybe you want to pray individually. Maybe you need to, to come down here and kneel at the altar. Maybe you need to just kneel at your seats. Maybe you need to stand up and lift your voice and pray out loud. Whatever you need to do, I want us to pray to God. And there are specific things that I want us as the church to ask Him to do. So first, we've talked 
a lot tonight about the greatness and the glory of Jesus. So with that in mind, ask God to help us to always see Jesus for who he really is and worship him as the one who reigns and rules over all creation. Take a moment now, let's bow our heads and let's pray. We also talked tonight about how Jesus is the head of the church. And so let's ask God to help our church to never lose sight of who Jesus truly is and why we do the work of ministry. Let's continue to pray. finally, let us ask God to help us proclaim the gospel to people around us and to all nations so that many people will come to know Jesus and the reconciliation that he offers. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son for us and that any one of us who believes in him, we will not perish, but we will experience everlasting life. 
God, we thank you that he came and he made peace between us and you through the blood of his cross. Thank you that he gave his life for us. Thank you that he is the, the, the perfect image bearer for us, God, the one that we can look to and we can see you. God, thank you for, for who he is and for all that he has done for us, God. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to be, to live in submission to Christ, the one who is the head of the church, the one who has all authority over us, God. Let us not look at his commands as an option, God, but help us to understand that all authority in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus. So that means we've got to follow his commands. We've got to do what he commanded us to do. Most importantly, the command to go and make disciples of all nations. So God, help us to always have the name of Jesus on our lips, ready to tell anyone and everyone we can, Lord, about what Jesus has done for us, the saving work that Jesus performed on the cross, that, that grace and mercy that is available for anyone who would place their faith in him. Gotta pray that there might be people in this room now who are wrestling with that choice, God, to place their faith and trust in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would, would do that work and you would compel them to, to respond to the message of the gospel, God. And I pray, Lord, that there would be people in this room right now, God, who would be compelled to go out and share the message of the gospel with other people in our, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our or places where we work and wherever it is that we go, that we would proclaim the gospel to all the world. It is in the name of your son, Jesus, that we voice this prayer, amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship him.